Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where Pastor Lauren Regeer opens God's Word each week to provide us with biblically-based teaching that helps you meet life head-on. Thank you for joining us, and may your hearts be blessed as God's Word is taught. And now, here is Pastor Lauren Regeer. Father, thank you for the challenge that comes to us from the book of 1 Corinthians a church really in a seductive culture, and yet that church was called uh, called out to be saints, the holy ones, reflective of your own personality, your character in a very difficult place. Thank you, Lord, that you have done the same thing for us, called us by your name. Put your Son, your Spirit within our hearts, and then, Lord, give us the calling to be saintly in this day and age. Thank you for the, tr- the truth today, and I pray that our hearts would be encouraged. Lord, we look forward to tonight as well as Brian shares what you did in the needy country of Uganda. And Lord, I pray that our hearts would be warmed and encouraged to pray for uh, our missionaries all over the world. We're grateful, Lord, for this call today to gather, and I pray you'd be honored by what is spoken in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians, please, in your Bibles this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're working our way through a series in 1 Corinthians, and we are now in the middle or so of chapter 7. We'll begin in just a few moments in uh, verse 10, 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, Really encourage folks today to think about this message that we are not only called to be saints, but we're protecting our wedding vows. We're protecting our vows When is it okay to undo the I do? And really, Paul addresses this. I mentioned last time we met together uh, some of the, uh, really, the various forms of of marriage in in Corinth. There were four types of marriages. I don't know if you can remember this morning what they were, but among especially the slave class, there was just what we call intent marriages, uh, and so, or intent companionship. And these could be really dissolved at any point the master decided to move the slaves or sell the slaves. There was a common law marriage, which is, means after one year you were considered marriage without any really fanfare. If you just lived together for a year, you would be considered married. And then there was the marriages that were put together right by dad, usually dad, as he would uh, really sell his daughter to the highest bidder, so to speak, and they were arranged marriages, which still goes on in certain places in the world. And then, for the more wealthy, there was more of a traditional wedding service that we are more aware of and use even today. So these were the common uh, types of marriages or relationships or unions that were a part of the church. Folks were getting saved in these types of relationships and coming to church. And they had questions about, should we stay married? Should we uh, dissolve the marriage and go marry, marry a believer? What are we to do? And so we're looking at that subject. And in, in really, in, in terms of three classifications, we're going to start with the ideal. Paul will stress that in verse 10. Let's uh, begin reading there through verse 16. Chapter 7, verse 10, and to the married I command, yet not I, he's stressing this is coming from the heart of God, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband, Uh, but if she depart, let her remain unmarried, or better yet, be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away or divorce his wife. 
But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, this is a mixed marriage spiritually, if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving, this may confuse some, but we'll explain it in a minute. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. But if the unbelieving, verse 15, depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage to the marriage vows in that situation in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? Let's read one more verse. But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every one, let, so let him walk, and so ordain I in uh, the churches, all churches. Marriage ought to be, we know this if we've been around the church very long, marriage ought to be a reflection of God's love for His bride, the church. In fact, that's the highest calling, really, of a married couple, especially a Christian married couple, that they would reflect God's sacrificial love for His bride, the church. In fact, He's given us that calling, hasn't He? It's not just about bearing children or partnership, although these are secondary auxiliary, uh, really, purposes of marriage, but it is truly about reflecting the great grace of God in our lives and His love for the church. Ideally, a Christian marriage ought to be one that stays together for life and uh, resolving differences with a reconciling spirit. Four-year-old Susie had just heard the story at school about Snow White and came bubbling home excited to tell the story to her mother. Wide-eyed with excitement, she told the whole thing to Mama about Prince Charming and his white stallion arriving and then, of course, kissing Snow White back to life. Susie then asked her mom, and you know what happened next? Mother, playing along, said, they lived happily ever after. And Susie said, no, they got married. (laughs) How many of you know A great marriage has very little to do with white horses, pixie dust, or fairy tales. It's really built on a heart loyalty one to another, a protection of vows, and really a reflection of God's own sacrificial love. It is about guarding our promises, that promise we made. Remember, if you're married, hopefully whoever was the officiant said something like this, you're to live, excuse me, to love to cherish, to guard, to be faithful as long as you both shall live. That's the stuff of a great marriage. Ruth Calkin reminds us that marriage means two imperfect people building permanently, giving totally in partnership with a perfect God. Bessie and Ted were kind of in my age of life or a little bit older. They were in their 70s. It had been married for about 50 years Both were getting a bit hard of hearing, which is different, my friends, than tired of listening. That could come at any time. Well, they were enjoying their 50th celebration, 50th anniversary celebration. The family had all come and then left, and they were on the front porch kind of enjoying the sunset that day. 
thinking back about memories of their 50 years together, Bessie looks at Ted with wonder in her eyes and says, You know, Ted, I'm real proud of you. The old gentleman leaned forward, looks at her kind of quizzically, and says, Yes, Bessie, I'm real tired of you too. We're at that stage in our marriage where we're kind of confused because we can't hear very well. That's my stage of life, and Robin and I are in that phase of marriage. A phrase I struggle with the most is this one. Honey, will you help with the dishes, please? I just, it's, it's hard for me to hear that. It sounds too much like, will you go catch some fishes, please? <laughs> That's what, I always get that confused. I can't hear that very well. By way of review, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul has reminded us that singleness, the first nine verses of chapter 7, Paul has reminded us that singleness is not bad, verse 1. It's okay. In fact, it is good if singleness is your gift from God. And then secondly, singleness and marriage are both honorable estates, though singleness, Paul would make a case for, in some regards, spiritually, has advantages. There's more time to serve the Lord in Christian ministry, a single, if that again is your gift from the Lord. And then thirdly, he reminded us in two, verses 2 through 5 that if you are married, don't act celibate or single. The marriage bed is sacred and honorable, and physical intimacy is only to be suspended temporarily by mutual consent. Paul said that because sex was so perverted in the city of Corinth, the identity of it. Now we continue our study beginning in verse 10. We've read the verses and Paul will address three issues or questions regarding marriage vows. I mentioned, and we're already ahead of it a little bit here in the, in the screen behind me, the three uh, really class, classifications and we'll kind of take them apart this way. First of all, Paul, in verse 10, addresses the ideal or the preferred, right? Uh, the question is this, I'm in a Christian marriage, married to a Christian, but we struggle. What should I do about all of our struggles? And Paul addresses that. Secondly, we're going to call this the classification of acceptable. I'm married to an unbeliever. But we don't have the same spiritual goals, but she or he still loves me, even though we're not spiritual equals. What should I do? Paul talks about that. And thirdly, uh, we're going to call this classification broken, bound, broken but not bound. I'm married to an unbeliever, and my unbelieving spouse wants to leave me because of my faith. What? Should I do? And Paul takes these issues head on in these verses that follow that we've read. Perhaps it would be prudent, first of all, to untangle a common misunderstanding in our text today right out of the gate. It is whether or not Paul, in verses 6 of chapter 7, 10, and 12, and look at those verses quickly with me. Paul is looking and saying things that might be a little confusing. I speak this Verse 6, chapter 7, verse 6, by permission and not of commandment. What does that mean? And verse 10, again, we see the, a phrase that may uh, set us to thinking. And to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. It's almost as if Paul and the Holy Spirit are not speaking the same. 
At least it would seem that, appear that way. Well, let's answer these questions. When verse 6 it says, just to settle your mind, that Paul does not excuse the Holy Spirit from inspiration. Every verse is inspired in the New Testament. Every word, and they're all equally inspired. So Paul, as we talked about last week, that word permission doesn't mean I've stepped away from the Holy Spirit and I'm kind of going on my own. The word permission there is to say the same thing, to have the very same opinion about something. So Paul is really saying there that we're not at odds with one another, the Holy Spirit and I. It's just that he is not commanding you to be single or commanding you to be married. That's the sense there. In fact, uh, we, we know that Paul is not offering a counter-opinion. God has already com- made, made some very clear statements about marriage. In fact, in Mark 10, 9, what God hath joined together, could you finish that? Let not man put asunder, speaking of the marriage vows. Malachi 2, 13 through 16, the sense there is God hates divorce. And in that context, God is speaking to the men primarily who are kind of treating their marriages as throwaway and disposable and were divorcing at the drop of the hat and weren't afraid to drop the hat themselves. Matthew 5.32, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality or adultery makes her a victim of adultery and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So we see that God has already clearly spoken about the permanency of your marriage vows. God intends us, and you can say amen anywhere here, to be married for life as Christians. Be ye not unequally yoked together. Now, I will say this because the context was first century, right? Many of these were coming to Christ, and uh, there was not a lot of Christians in town until the gospel got there. And so there were folks coming out of all these four different types of marriages that were coming to church. And there was lots of marriages where only one in the marriage was a believer. And so Paul needs to address this. One lady says this about divorce, how painful it is. Without a doubt, she said this, divorce was the worst season of my life. Some of you know the pain of divorce. Nothing I've suffered since, ever since even comes close. Not a wayward child, not a stroke, not a betrayal of close friends, not a job loss, not a church split, not the death of my parents, not a root canal without Novocaine. She says, absolutely nothing compares to the horrific pain of having a spouse decide, I don't, after saying, I do. In chapter 7, verses 10 and 11, Paul is just confirming the ideal. Two Christians in a marriage resolving differences with a reconciling spirit. Stay married is what he says. Look at verse 10. To the married I command, yet not I, the Lord. Let not the wife depart from her husband. And if there are some differences that seem irreconcilable, if she depart, let her remain unmarried. Or, better yet, be reconciled to her husband and let not the husband put away his wife. So we see then 
Paul is speaking about an ideal situation. The, 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 really, the commanded situation for believers to marry believers and stay married. God has spoken to this, and, and Paul is saying, in terms of the, uh, the, the, mar- the Christian married to an unbeliever, up till now, what Paul is saying uh, in, in the few verses, uh, verse 12, but to the rest speak I, not the Lord. What he's saying is, I'm about to speak to those who are believers, You've come to Christ after you're married. You're married to an unbeliever. The Lord has not addressed this. It's not that the Lord and I have different opinions about this. He's just previously in written Scripture, God has not... But now through this Holy Spirit, God is speaking to us. And I'm going to give you some uh, some inspired writing, he says, from the Holy Spirit about this particular situation, mixed marriages in terms of spiritual affinity and love for the Lord. One's a believer, one's not a believer. So Paul says, God is speaking to this. It's not that the Lord doesn't care or isn't speaking or I'm just kind of going on my own, but he's saying, first of all, in an ideal situation, I want you to remain married, work through the problems. The best way, married folk, to get around a problem in your marriage is to work through it. Don't run from it, don't hide from it, And even when there seems to be irreconcilable differences, ask for God's grace. Don't run away or seek a divorce. It is unacceptable in the eyes of God as two believers need to. The grace of God is greater than any trouble you could ever face. He will get you through it. If you're married and you're a believer and you're married to a believer, raise your hand this morning if there's been a problem in your marriage somewhere along the way. Just raise your hand. Be, be honest about that. Some of you are getting barely over the pew here. Even in a preacher's marriage, if you can imagine that, it happens. I think it happened back in 1988, but it did happen. No, I'm kidding. We struggle, don't we? Two sinners together, although we're saved, don't make, it per- don't make us perfect. We have to struggle through and reconcile and the spirit we need. Paul says, you, you make sure that you work, th- work through the issues. And if you can't, if there's a divorce, remain unmarried. So that's, first of all, of course, the ideal Christian marriage where two people, even though they get in a little spat here and there, resolve their differences with a reconciling Spirit, stay marriage. Stay married in the Christian marriage that you are. And and it's important to understand that. Now he moves on to another topic uh, in in, in terms of the next. What what about those folks that are are married uh, and one comes to Christ and the other isn't a believer? And for a while that may be the case. And maybe throughout the rest of the marriage. Well, Paul speaks to them in verses 12 and 13 and 14. But to the rest, speak I. Again, Paul says the Lord hasn't made any any discussion about this before this writing. If any brother has a wife that believes not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. That word, of course, that phrase means divorce. And the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, this is the other side of the coin, if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. Don't get a divorce, even though there's two spiritual dynamics in place. 
And he gives the answer for the uh, verse 14, or the reason for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. What in the world is Paul saying? Is Paul saying if you're a believer and your wife or your husband isn't, that because of your faith, they're in, they're going to heaven, they're saved. Is that what Paul means? Certainly it can't mean that. Uh, Paul says this, let's say you're in a marriage where uh, whatever the timing of it is, your husband or your wife is not a believer. But yet, that, in that situation, your husband or wife is content and compliant to uh, stay in the marriage. Well, he says, accept that situation. Um, embrace that situation. Seek no other situation. Stay married. And the reason he gives for that is because of the possibility that you're, it's the reverse bad or rotten apple effect. <laughs> rotten apple spoils the whole But Paul is saying there is a wonderful uh, prospect in mind if there's even just one believer in the family, there is that hope, right, that the others would be protected by that influence. I wonder how many of, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you grew up in a home where maybe there was just one believer? Maybe your mom or your dad, one or the other, wasn't saved, and yet the testimony of your mom or your dad had a sanctifying, protecting, spiritually protective influence in your life. Uh, we, we had a jail ministry, still do, but we had a jail ministry that I was a part of in Indianapolis, and many times we would hear men talk about the, the prayers of their mother in the home, how it provided a sense of spiritual uh, compass in their lives. Now, many of them, of course, in jail, <laughs> but they, they came back to it, and some of them received Christ on the prayers of a mama that never quit praying. So he is saying it's not that there's household salvation. In other words, if one gets saved, everybody said no. God has no grandchildren. Every one of us need to put our faith in Christ individually, actually, personally, if we're going to go to heaven. But what a blessing to know. You think in the Bible of how maybe uh, Nabal's family was, in a sense, sanctified, spiritually protected because of an Abigail who was a godly wife. Joseph made a tremendous difference in Potiphar's house. That one unnamed servant girl in 2 Kings chapter 5 made a tremendous difference, a sanctifying flavor of grace in a home there in Syria. Here she was. Her one single candle of righteousness made a tremendous difference. And so Paul is saying, if you find yourself in a marriage where your husband or your wife is not a believer and they're content to stay there, they're compliant and willing to stay in the marriage, don't seek a way out. And understand your testimony can make a tremendous difference. You know, as a church, we need to pray for our marriages where there's two spiritual dynamics and, and, and folks are getting saved at different times or come to, get, come to salvation perhaps after they're married and and we need to pray for these who struggle sometimes because 
If, if anybody's going to take them to church, it's going to be mama. If anybody's going to do a spiritual, it's mama. Or the, or the reverse. And so we need to pray for extra strength for those who are letting their light so shine in difficult places. But Paul is very clear. This is acceptable. Not that you need to marry an unbeliever. I want to be clear about that. But if you find yourself in a situation where you are married, and you're, or you've come to faith later after you've married, and your husband is not, or again, the other hand, uh, you need to f- just realize that God has given you a wonderful opportunity. And that's the sense there of verses 13 or 12 through verse 14. Uh, there's no perfect home anywhere, but uh, there's a sheltering That's the idea behind sanctifying. There's a sheltering effect spiritually to the children and even to the husband of uh, of a wife who is truly living for the Lord. And I'm thankful for the many homes uh, that I know of where this is a difficult situation, but Paul is clear, you are to stay, stay married. Uh, Don't try to get out of your marriage just because you are not married to a believer Two Christians struggle along. They need to stay married, of course, and work things out. Divorce is not an option for believers. And uh, there is um, no problem that God cannot solve. I've already mentioned that. But when you're in a situation where you're kind of holding, holding the fort down spiritually, understand that as long as your husband or wife wants to stay there, uh, you stay there as well. Sometimes I hear people who read down in the text a little bit and see that there's a, an opportunity perhaps to get divorced and have God sanction that if one of, uh, the, one of the other is uh, unsaved. And we see that sometimes. And I want to be very clear. Uh, don't say, I want out of my marriage because of 1 Corinthians seven 15. I'm married to an unbeliever, and uh, so I, I'm out of here. I want us to be very careful that God puts high standards on the vows we speak in marriage, saved or lost. And you might think, well, if, if there's an option for me to opt out of my marriage because of an unbelieving spouse, I'm out of here. Because I think he's unsaved. He, he acts unsaved. So now, since I've qualified him as an unsaved bum, he must be unsaved, and I want him out of my life. Because even though he says he's saved, he's really not. And I can just see Ralph Cramden and the Honeymooners as they have those arguments with Alice, right? Boom! To the moon, Alice! And we have that attitude. You're out of here, and you're acting unsaved. You must be unsaved. Years ago, there was a sign over the freeway in Los Angeles. Unload that turkey. 25 bucks. No fault divorce. Well, be careful about claiming the spiritual status of your husband as dead, lost, or heathen because you can't get along with him. That is not grounds for legitimate divorce biblically. Please note here, the text doesn't say in verse 15, if you are a saved spouse, let's read it, verse 15, but if the unbelieving depart, we're going to talk about another classification here, But if the unbelieving depart, a brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. I know of a a woman who understood this, or at least thought she understood, verse 15 of chapter 7, 1 Corinthians. And she thought, well, he's not saved, at least he acts unsaved, and so I just need him to 
not like it here in this house so I can get a new husband. And so she began putting tracks in his lunchbox, beating him over the head with a gospel club, guilting him all over the place for not going to church, until finally he got so frustrated he left. It is not you that ought to provide the goad for uh, your husband to leave the home. In fact, 1 Peter 3, 1 tells us this very clearly. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. And the next phrase says this, that... If any obey not the word, that's an unsaved person. Can be a saved person, but if any obey not the word, uh, the inference there is an unsaved or lost man, they may, here's, here's the, really the goal for you, or if you're married to an unsaved man, may without the word be won by the conduct of the wife, while they behold your chaste conduct coupled with reverence or fear. Much better for all if that man who unsaved comes to Christ. And that's the point of uh, that second classification, acceptable. If, if he, now, what's, what's, the, what's the difference between verses 12, 13, and 14 and the situation we're going to talk about uh, broken but not bound in verse 15? He is saying, Paul is saying, if, if you're married to an unbeliever and he wants to depart, what's, what's the difference uh, in that scenario between verses 12 13 and 14, you reckon, make you think on a Sunday morning. The difference is what? The unbelieving spouse wants to stay in the marriage. If that is the case, don't try to needle or push him away. Push her out. Be content. It's better. It's preferable. It's acceptable to stay in that marriage. And then we get to verse, or verse 15, and Paul speaks for another classification, broken but not bound. How does God make an allowance? And God does make an allowance in this situation, and let's read the verse again. But if the unbelieving depart, verse 15, and then in, with a very economy of words, succinct, Paul says, speaking by inspiration, what does it say? Let him depart. We call this really the, the second. It's the only, um, only provision outside of adultery for divorce in the Bible biblically. Now, if your Romans chapter 7 tells us, if your husband or wife passes away, dies, you are free. You're no longer bound, obviously. You can remarry. And here we see the second provision for divorce outside of, uh, of the one we've given earlier, the Lord gave for adultery. Again, if the unbelieving depart, the word for depart is korizo in the Greek, korizo, and it means divorce. If an unbeliever begins divorce proceedings, the believer is not to contest, note the words again, Verse 15, let him go, let him depart. If on the basis of his adversarial spirit to you because of your faith in Christ, some of the historians there were describing the situation as the Corinthian church began to blossom in town and folks were getting saved, even in one of the four contexts of marriage 
one would get saved and the other wouldn't. And there was this aversion to the saints gathering and the saints doing good works for others and the saints kissing the feet of the martyrs, so to speak. And there was this, I don't want anything to... They were idolaters. Some of them were involved in the, all the trades there in town that involved seduction and all that. And they wanted nothing to do with the faith of their spouse. Paul says by concession, so this is in the command tense. Let them go. Let them depart. We call this the abandonment principle or provision. The desertion of a believing spouse by an unbeliever, not because, not, 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 not because you just can't get along. Or, you know, I... She's a lousy cook. No, this principle is about one of the parties in the marriage has nothing to do with the faith of the other in terms of their spiritual walk with the Lord. And and many times it's a moot point because they're already gone anyway. They're not going to sit there and debate about it or negotiate. But Paul says don't try to force them back or negotiate or contest it let that person go. And then what does the next phrase say? Follow along in your Bibles, please. A brother or sister is not under bondage, broken but not bound. A believer married to an unbeliever where there is an adversarial spirit to the faith, the brother is no longer under bondage in such cases. So God hath called us to peace. Um, so we've moved now from uh, acceptable, that is to say, if you're in a mixed marriage spiritually, stay there. If you're in a marriage traditionally as Christians, stay there, work through things. In this case, where there's an unbelieving husband or spouse that, or wife that wants to leave because of the faith of the other, it, Paul begins by sharing this, this really this new point of information the Holy Spirit hadn't shared before. In this case, command tense, let them go. You may, in other words, make this concession and break the vows. And here, and this is just, this is just um, my observation, good men differ on how they look at the next phrase. That person is no longer bound. What does that mean? Um, it says that we're to let them depart and that Does that mean that that person then is no longer under bondage to the marriage vow with that person and then must remain single for the rest of their lives? Or does it mean that once that marriage vow is broken by either um, continual adultery that cannot be reconciled or, uh, or, or restituted, A, the first A, or B, the abandonment, does it mean that that marriage relationship right there is no longer in force? It would obviously mean that because let them go. Paul is speaking on behalf of the Holy Spirit, and he said, you may divorce that one. Or does that mean once, and this is, I'm of this crowd, and I've got a lot of good friends in this crowd, and a lot of great Christian commentators are in this crowd Whenever God, by legitimate means, says that 
that the divorce is on biblical grounds that also by extension means there's a freedom to remarry on these two rare occasions. I'm of that crowd. I'm of, I, I do believe that there were some good men that would disagree with me. And you may be one of those good men that disagree with me. And it's okay for you to be wrong. It's all right. That's permissible. But what, what God has made to be unbound or free, certainly then, in my view, means that God also, when legitimate biblical divorce occurs, uh, then, of course, that also infers that remarriage or the freedom to remarry is assumed. You are no longer captive, not just to the marriage you were in, but you're now free to remarry. Obviously, only in the Lord. 2 Corinthians 6.14 is a verse that every seeking uh, college student, still single, ought to have memorized or underlined. Be ye not unequally yoked together. Uh, we are to be spiritually uh, looking for people who are also alive in Christ. All right, verse 16 reminds us, as we kind of wrap things up this morning, verse 16 reminds us that evangelism, we've talked about the compliant partner in verses 12 through 14, stay in that marriage, even though there's one unsaved. But here we see there's a different spirit, verse 16, for what knowest thou, O wife, uh, don't let evangelism be the cause by which you prolong a marriage where one who is adversarial to Christ wants out. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Let God pursue him or her. Or what knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called everyone, so let him walk, and so ordain I in all the churches. So the ideal obviously, is to be married to a believer. God makes that clear, no divorce, uh, and stay together. The area of acceptable, maybe you are married to someone, you've come to Christ later in life, or in this context, the gospel was just kind of arriving at uh, Corinth, and there were many mixed marriages spiritually. You're married to an unbeliever, so stay, and he's willing to stay with you. She's willing to stay. Stick with it. God will use your testimony to sanctify, in a sense, protect the marriage, the home, and the kids. And then, thirdly, broken but not bound, there is an allowance for vows or marriages to be broken in this rare exception, only again the second given in the Bible. The relationship may be severed uh, when joined to someone who is an enemy of the faith. That one is commanded let or we are commanded to let the unbelieving depart. Just a final thought. Marriages are formed for the purpose of reflection, the love of God for his bride, the church. And that's really the larger context here. You're called to be saints and your marriages matter. And I believe this, if you're married, it is the greatest testimony. Your marriage, your family is the greatest evangelical tool in the toolbox for uh, impressing the world how the principles of truth work in terms of your own life. And what a great thing it is that we would uh, certainly be those who reflect the glory and the grace of God. Again, our marriages reflect that. God's love for His bride. We are to be decidedly spiritual in the context of our marriages. 
I hope, and I'm thankful for my wife and the many opportunities we have had over the years because of our home, and not in spite of it, too, and I'm not bragging, but I'm just thankful for a Christian wife. From the get-go, when we were dating, that became the very premise, the purpose of our dating. Do you love God? Do you want to serve God with all your life? I said, honey, I don't know where we're going to go and what we're going to be and what we're going to do, where we're going to live, but we want our mar- I want our marriage to reflect God's love for the church, and I want it to be a very, the very template by which others are encouraged to love God too. Amen and amen. Let's pray together, shall we, as we close. Father, thank you for this instruction about marriage. I pray that we would be impressed with its permanence. It is an institution ordained, sanctified by God in the garden. And Lord, you brought one man, one woman together and expected them to remain for life a testimony of commitment and promise. And so, Lord, I pray that as we consider our own marriages and ask ourselves the question, is our home a testimony or a stumbling block? I pray that in our church, Lord, that you would give us godly homes. And I am so thankful to be a part of a community that believes there is a sacredness and a depth of promise, a loyalty to the promises we make in our marriages. And Lord, maybe some of us are waning a bit, straying, maybe just spiritually, maybe it's actually. And Lord, I pray that we would recommit today, renew our vows before you and before our spouse, that we would be faithful unto God, unto our spouse, till we are separated by death. And Lord, I pray that there are problems in our marriages. We'd seek good help. They seem to be too deep, uh, too difficult. Help us to cry out for a Christian counselor or helper to help us through it. But Lord, I pray that our church would reflect your great love for the, uh, for the bride herself. And thank you, Lord, for this teaching from the book of 1 Corinthians. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Pastor Lauren Regeer at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you.